Welcome to Mind Movement. It is Saturday, our 10 a.m. roundtable conversation. Joining me, as always, on Saturday mornings, Miss Molly Bates, who is Mind Movement's clinical director, vice president, and who is a trauma specialist, a yoga therapist, a licensed clinical social worker, and uh, who specializes in this in this topic, really, in this conversation, grief, loss, and, and really trauma, which is uh, absolutely what we are going through right now as a, as a world. <laughs> it is a global crisis and a global pandemic and, a, and really a global trauma. Um, and here in New York City, it is certainly hitting all of us on the ground. So this is the close of week seven, moving into week eight on Monday of our stay at home. And it is definitely heating up. So we, you and I have been talking over the last few days about what we're seeing with our clients, what we're seeing just in the community as we're, you know, engaging with other people on the streets. And um, it is definitely, there's, there's this, uh, there's this tension, this growing tension that I think is pretty palpable here. But I'd love to know, Molly, what it is you're thinking about, what it is you're seeing with your clients and where you see us being at right now. Yeah. I I, you know, I, I think this week, as the losses kind of continue to mount, it's, I, I'm seeing that my clients are, you know, the people that I'm working with are, are just totally overwhelmed because it's one loss after another. And it's hard to stay with each of those. It's hard to separate them and sort of honor them one by one so one one you know thing that i'm seeing quite a bit is that there isn't a lot of space for being with the actual sustained losses right the the concrete losses that we have already mm -hmm. you know experienced because there's this there's there's more in the future Right. Mm -hmm. And so many of the people that I'm working with are so fixated on the anticipated losses to come. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that that looks a lot of different ways, you know, for for my various different clients, depending on how old they are and, you know, where they are and their their life transitions and their life cycles. But that the anticipation for the losses to come mm -hmm. is is where the focus is mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of you know certainly fear and anxiety that's keeping them from validating from acknowledging from honoring the losses that they have already sustained mm -hmm. yeah so an example is you know, I work with quite a few young adult college students and, you know, this, this is a population you and I work very closely with, we have for years, um, and we've talked quite a bit about them in, in the last few weeks, but, 
you know, I, I, I worked with one woman this week who had such a hard time even saying to me, Molly, I, you know, I, I miss my friends. I miss, mm. you know, I, I miss wearing the clothes that I, I usually wear. And I know that that's so trite or so silly or so small. Um, but I can't, I can't process it. I get confused. It's like a block. It's like, I can't even sit with it. I can barely even repeat it again to my friends and my family because it seems repetitive and it seems small and it seems silly. And so, and she's jumping on to, you know, and what if we don't go back to school in the fall? And what if I can't get back to New York City? What if my parents make me stay here in my childhood home? And, you know, and so, and I'm just saying, let's just sit together, you and I, right? Because, and, and sit with it and sit with it in your body and track it. Track what happens when you just sit with it. And that's a pain, you know, there, then there's more blocks and resistances that come up, mm -hmm. right? I can't, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't do that. I, I get mm -hmm. the cra I get the crazy thoughts. I get the frenetic chaos um, in my, buzzing in my head, right? Mm -hmm. Which is mm -hmm. often, it, you know, when you're really tracking um, body physical sensations with someone, um, hmm. the you start to notice their patterns and, and how their, um, their thoughts manifest in their specific bodies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. which, is, which is a really interesting way <laughs> that we, we get to know our clients and, and how their, body, their specific bodies process trauma, mm -hmm. loss, grief, anxiety, and where in the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that kind of staticky, mm -hmm. Uh, energy is is often in in the head, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's often um, what wants to kind of come in and take over mm -hmm. and get in the way of sitting with some you know of these really heavy, sad, mm -hmm. um, dark, slow, molasses, tar. Mm -hmm. kind of feeling so that's that's a very specific example and it's i'm glad you brought up ages because i think there is definitely a generational each each sort of age group is really handling this very differently and if you're you know my father's family has had three losses in one generation in one age group and um so it was um so my my father's grandfather's um sons three different kids so they were all first cousins if that makes any sense i'm not mm -hmm. sure if that's clear but so that's the the oldest here so you have like those that are in their 70s but then you have this generation of baby boomers who are terrified mm -hmm. because they're in that 60s range and so they're looking at this thing going Oh my God, you know, how's my health? Oh my God, am I, am I in a high risk bracket? What if I get it? I don't want to leave my apartment. I don't want to leave my home. I don't want to leave, you know, should I even go out to the grocery store? I have to put on, you know, the hazmat suit to do that. So just living in a kind of a chronic fear state because of their age, simply because of how old they are. So, and, and then I think like it goes down and as you're describing our young, our younger ones, our college students, as you're saying, there is this kind of like, 
I don't even deserve to have feelings about this because how dare I have feelings? There's, you know, real traumas going on and people mm -hmm. that are really dying. And uh, so it's, and of course, if you're actually following this day in and day out, and you're listening to these hospital workers, what they're saying is it's not just, obviously those that are at the highest risk are those that are much older, but that it isn't just people in that, you know, um, their seventies that are eighties and above that are dying from this, that it's young, healthy people too. And that's really what's starting to scare the crap out of some of these hospital employees, some of these medical professionals, nurses, doctors, et cetera. So, you know, I think there's all these different ways and that's just like one tiny little example of one way that each of these generations are trying, are interacting with this thing uh, as we go through this. And the other thing that's starting to get very interesting is with more testing happening, we're starting to see that the numbers are much, much higher, exponentially higher than mm -hmm. we maybe uh, mm -hmm. originally thought. So mm -hmm. it appears that 40% are, are testing positive, even if they're not showing symptoms. Yeah. Well, you know, you, I think you bring up an interesting point about, you know, older generations and something, you know, we talk a lot about at Mind Movement, right, is the longer that you've been in the habit, the longer you've been in the routine, the more ingrained it is, right? And so, and this goes for, you know, any clinical diagnosis that mm -hmm. is ever in the DSM, you know, manual, it's about <laughs> length of time, right? And mm. we know that that has a lot to do with getting deeper into your groove. So in, in my family, right, my parents are in their 70s. My dad, you know, can, he is not able to adapt <laughs> to <laughs> these social distancing norms, right? He is a, you know, That's a funny. free man and he has always been a free man. And, you know, his wife, the, this like Protestant like mentality is like that, we don't acknowledge when we're sick. We don't acknowledge when things are rough. We don't like, we persevere. So, you know, my stepmother has been sick for three weeks and hasn't gotten a test. She's powering through it, you know? Mm -hmm. And my dad is going outside without a mask. Like he's, he's like, Molly, my, I have masks in the car. Like, mm -hmm. wait, do they come out of the car with you? Do they get on your face? Right? Like, so there's, there's also like, this sort of like you can't teach an old, an old dog a new trick, right? Whereas we see the younger millennial generations in large part, um, mm. for, you know, really adhering to these social distancing guidelines and really getting angry, right? We talk, mm. We've been talking a lot about yeah. the, the justified anger, right? That it's, I, I see that, you know, much more with our, our younger, um, you know, co the college students mm -hmm, like, that mm -hmm. are, you know, that think of themselves as, you know, hip to the groove and, in, in, you know, a lot of ways. And oh, so, right. So that's just sort of the flip of, of what, you, you know, we're seeing both, I think. Yeah, we're um, seeing both, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But, yeah, and... So, you know, one of the other things, Tam, that has come up quite a bit in the news this this week, and, you know, I, I think I'm really glad to see it 
I don't know how you, how you're feeling, but because of the sort of escalating concerns around the mental health impact, um, not just for our frontline workers and essential uh, essential workers, but um, you know we've we've been talking about addiction, we've been talking about mental health, and it seems mm-hmm. to really be catching on in the mainstream media um, as we are seeing Ooh. people actually killing themselves, so taking their own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that I had heard, uh, you know, one, I listen to sports talk radio where it's really, you know, blue and white collar men mostly that are listening to sports talk radio and that are still listening despite the fact that there are no organized sports. But one of the, you know, big, uh, very well-known voices on sports talk radio has been really talking more about the politics and more about what's going on socially than he he is sports, although that's not everyone. And what he keeps talking about is, you know, what is going to be the mental health toll. And so when I hear somebody like Mike Francesa talking about, you know, suicide rates, I definitely am, you know, my ears perk up because mm-hmm. that that is a, a pretty serious, you know, um, does does speak a lot about what was on people's minds. But I think the problem that we're going to run into with this entering into the mainstream is as much as we're talking about it's like hot potato, we're not owning it. So it's yeah. not about me. It's about people that might, you know, take this to the most extreme. And there's a really, people don't understand mental health. So they don't understand that mental health is really physical health, that it manifests in, you know, neurotransmitter activity, which as you're just, you know, mentioned, which essentially uh, hardwires into a habit. And then that habit or that, you know, ends up becoming just how we react all day, every day. One study I mentioned this week a few times out of Clemson, um, the head of the Department of Psychology at Clemson University found that on average, Americans complain once every sentence in a conversation, once a sentence. So that gives you sort of an idea of our starting point. Our baseline is pretty negative, is, is pretty depressed as a culture. But then you throw in entitled reasoning, you know, a reason to feel fear, a reason like this to really worry, and you add that to an already uh, depressed and anxious culture, you know, it, it's the norm to be pretty depressed and pretty anxious. And now mm-hmm. all of that baseline just went up a great deal. And so I think rather than look at other people and how it might be affecting just our, you know, like you were saying, essential workers, uh, how is this affecting everyone? And and the uh, me, how is it affecting me? Me, me right now. <laughs> how am I being affected? Mm-hmm. You know, am I afraid? Am I sad? Because you can blow by yourself as you start to focus on what everyone else is doing. And we're, if we don't take that responsibility, it can get worse and worse very quickly. So if I start to feel more afraid and not acknowledge that and deal with it, then it can escalate and develop some momentum and become legitimate anxiety that really becomes, you know, serious. So, you know, this is, 
there is a lot of fear. There is a lot, of, especially around economic crises. You know, I mean, usually we don't see this without a war or some kind of, you know, like even the depression, it was sort of coincided with two wars. Um, and so, you know, this is uh, a really interesting, interesting time to be having this at, and it's coinciding with this really bizarre political landscape that mm -hmm. where you have these half of the country opening up despite the fact that their curves are going up. So you have states like Georgia where there's no end in sight, there's no, there's no leveling off. You have professionals all across the United States of all walks of life, whether they're academia, whether they're actual you know, lab scientists or doctors saying, if we do what you're, we do this, if we open up, then we're just gonna see another real spike. And what these governors are sometimes implying is that they don't care, that uh, flat out, they don't care. They don't care that people are going to die we have to have our economy is more important than people's than the for than the um, small percentage of folks that are going to die here, and that's what people. That's really what the you know that's the the undertone, and so that by itself is a trauma. If you're someone working in a factory and you're hearing from your government, from the president of the United States, yeah, we don't really value human life. What we care about is you know the economy and that that is pretty that's a pretty heavy blow by itself and i know for me prior to being at all even a little bit of a mentally healthy person that by itself would have been absolutely unnerving i would have been looking at the news right now just noticing that and having a nervous breakdown because yeah. of that you know that feeling of like intense obligation and responsibility to this larger social you know, economic, whatever, plug-in that's going on right now. Because what is the message, right? What is the message that you hear when now meatpacking facilities are essential facilities, right? And there's an outbreak and 700 people are positive. And you, the message is that you must continue to work, okay? Yeah. What, how does that feel in the body? How do I internalize that? Well, right, that my life is not meaningful. I don't matter, okay? Right? My life is not important, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That I don't, I don't matter. I'm and that, not worthy, I am not worthy. That's right. Right, and if that, is the cognition if that is the belief right and that gets on repeat and you can't talk about it you can't really express it you can't really share it because there's this other overarching you know bigger picture well i have you know because of whatever because of finances because i have to i i need to make an income i need to make a living then I can't really get in touch with, I can't really honor that this is the undercurrent, right? This is the, the feeling inside me that I have to silence. Mm -hmm. And then that thought continues, mm -hmm. continues. I don't matter. I am not important. My life is not worthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, it's, and there's an injustice. Look, 
the obvious implication as well is this is these are usually immigrant communities these are very impoverished uh people that do live you know generations of people that are living in in, in small quarters so you know those of us that you know are lucky enough to not be totally out on the street right now are not having that problem you know we are able maybe to access the, the loans that are coming through. We are able to access support, if not ourselves, from maybe a family members that can help us through this, whatever it is. But if, you know, so, so the larger implication is also this racial and sort of uh, social economic status undertone that is also political, that is also, you know, really difficult to sit with, even as a spectator. You know, it's hard to even imagine what it's like to be one of those factory workers. And if you have seen, I'm sure you've, people have seen the images of what those factories are like on the inside. You know, there's absolutely no way to, to, to socially distance. I mean, these are people who are literally on top of each other. Break rooms where 100 people are taking their breaks at the same time on top of each other. Locker rooms that are on top of each other. And so you know, some of those plants are taking more cautious measures and doing what the CDC is, is strongly encouraging. And others are taking every liberty that they're being given by the, by the government not to. So, you know, because it's expensive and because it's not practical um, and maybe not even possible in, 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 in the reality of things. So, you know, I think that by itself would be a reason to stare at your news feeds and absolutely panic to also looking at what's going on in nursing homes and there being no national response. You know, these, these are all, you know, all reasons by themselves to feel fear because if my government doesn't give a crap about them, do they give a crap about me? I mean, there's all kinds of, right. And like you're saying, we're, we're, we're essentially raking, ranking lives, you know, um, and, and also I'm looking at these, because now that it's hitting the middle of the country, you're seeing these small communities in places like Ohio and Kansas and uh, where, I don't know if you happen to see this, I caught this, uh, I don't know exactly what her title was, she was the head of a hospital, it's a small hospital. This woman was tr in a full-blown trauma episode trying to speak to the community about what's going on in their small hospital that is operating at max capacity and where she started to break down was I'm sending my team, my nurses, my doctors into the line of fire and, and look, everyone's thinking it, you know, is today going to be the day that I end up like these patients who are dying mm -hmm. and having to say goodbye to their loved ones on Zoom. And I'm trying to rally, corral my staff and pump them up. Like, you know, we're, we're doing this great service and to our community. I mean, and you're listening to this woman and then, that they are falling. I mean, these um, nurses and doctors, they are getting sick. Mm -hmm. You know, you alluded to a, a, a suicide by, a, it was a doctor that mm -hmm. committed, committed suicide. You know, it's, it's, these are by themselves, each one of these things are hard to stomach and hard to sit with, you know, and, and very, I mean, have all kinds of implications. And so, although I'm looking at her, I'm going, oh boy, this woman's going to need major help. Mm. She is in a full-blown, like, capital T traumatic episode that is going to affect her and potentially her 
children and their children. You know, we talk a lot about intergenerational trauma, which we can get into and people don't understand. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a big one. This is a, you know, historical event that is going to have major implications uh, that we can't even begin to understand. And it's affecting everyone. And, and that's really the, the message here is we have to take care of ourselves because it is affecting all of us in one way or another. Uh, the other thing we've mentioned, and I think is something we overlook even, what about all, all of us that are home alone? I mean, it, I love that. It's not a problem for me. Like, I don't <laughs> mind being home alone with yeah. my dog and my daughter. But yeah. um, for those that can't tolerate that and are stuck yeah. at home, the weather's getting nicer. I mean, that by itself is just waking up and staring at themselves in the mirror and not knowing mm -hmm. how long they're going to be have, have to be alone. I mean, it, all of it is, is really mm -hmm. challenging. And our message all along has been take responsibility for what you can control because mm -hmm. you can't control any of all of that. And so in order to start to get some of your senses back or your sense of um, empowerment back, it, it just, it's all about what can I do right now that will support me in beginning to work through this. Mm -hmm. And that then does, I think, you know, um, start to do some, some real healing at the level of the body and the mind. Mm -hmm. And so how to help people understand that and then begin to take action on it is so important right now. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, I think that's certainly, that's where you need to start, right? And then what are, you know, if you, if you can acknowledge your own anxieties and your own fears, mm -hmm. and then we, it needs an output, it needs an outlet, right? So mm -hmm. if you know, if you know some, and it really only takes, it really only takes one person, you know? to share some of that with so that we don't feel so alone because that's what that is what is so unbearable mm. that is, it's the feeling alone that i'm alone in my pain that i'm alone in my suffering and i'm not entitled to it mm -hmm. um that and just just finding you know one person to to really be honest about all of the feelings Right? that mm -hmm. they're all really normal <laughs> considering what's happening mm -hmm. you know and they and so and also reaching out to people that you know are alone um, mm -hmm. and that maybe struggle with sharing these kinds of feelings and you know we've talked about it you know you don't necessarily even need to know what to say because that's you know, one I think our first conversation that we had on this roundtable, Sam, was about, you know, how how to talk to someone who, you know, maybe had a loss that you didn't have and you can't identify with. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Just just opening a line of communication and letting them know that you are thinking about them and mm. that that's very powerful. You know, mm -hmm. I. When I'm working with my, you know, my clients, I, I am constantly letting them know that even when I'm not with them in session, that I'm thinking about them and that mm. I'm sending positive, safe, 
bubble energy. They're mm-hmm. all, in, I put, I put them in bubbles in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so that to protect them as they move in the world, to fortify them, to give them the energy that they need. And I send that intention to them. And, and that's something that can stay with a person, you know, that mm-hmm. image that, um, somebody else is thinking about them. Somebody else is holding some of these feelings, mm-hmm. um, these feelings that we're really having a hard time, um, just acknowledging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and certainly, you know, with, with people that we know are, are, are really suffering because they've sustained, um, a capital T trauma or, mm-hmm. you know, or working in these, these crises, um, ICU, you know, mm. any, anybody like that, you know, mm-hmm. like I have some, I, I, I work with some people who are, are, we're a little confused, you know, they're noticing because, because we feel this like resistance around, well, I don't know what it's like to lose an aunt, mm-hmm. right. Or I don't know what it's like to see the things that you're seeing in the hospital mm-hmm. right? that maybe I can't offer to you. Maybe I can't say anything to you. Maybe I can't because mm-hmm. I don't know what to say and I haven't experienced that. Right. Um, so there's some fear and hesitation and resistance sometimes in even just reaching out. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That's right. And, and that's, it's not that, you know, it, it's not important, right? You told me, Molly, I don't care what you say to me. I'm just glad that you've got this bubble that you've got in your head that I sit in, right? Like, <laughs> that's what matters. It matters that you're thinking about me. I'm being thought of. I'm being mm. considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is something you can do, though. You know, you, you were saying, uh, you know, I we don't, well, there's nothing I can do. I don't understand. I was, I didn't go through that. I don't have that person, but something you can do is like just sending somebody that intention or that, you know, I, my thoughts are with you taking a second out of your day to stop and just, you know, even just silently in your own mind, honoring that person that you think is struggling or suffering maybe more than you are, you know, we, do have more reserves or resources maybe than most people because of the fact that we spend so much time day in and day out on these, you know, mental health uh, activities and in these conversations and engaging in mindfulness and meditation and yoga and all kinds of other potential ways that do manage our anxieties and do manage um, unwanted negative emotion in a way that prepares us to move through something like this a lot more easily than maybe somebody else. So um, we're not in maybe crisis mode as much as we would have been had we not done those things. Right. (laughs) This would be, uh, (laughs) right, exactly. Obviously this would be handled much differently. Um, And, and I do have, and I think so do you, we, we do have this empathy for, people who are not sure how to handle this because they don't have that reserve tank that they've built up over the last 15 years of doing this kind of work. So um, the other thing is you and I do deal with other people who are going through a lot of 
trauma all the time. So we do know how to engage with people who are in suffering and we do know how to sit in those, you know, reading body language. And, you know, most people don't know that when they're thinking their body is also moving, you know, which we used to talk about in teaching meditation classes because you could always see who was not able to engage in the exercise because they're moving, their feet are moving, their hands are moving, they're continuing to, you know, reposition. And um, it's, and then you see after time they learn, it stops. And so you, you realize, wow, they're really learning meditation, which is really awesome. So you know, there are things that we can do. I think one of the things that's really tough about this, we can get addicted to negative emotion. And, and so it's hard to stop. We don't want to, you know, I don't, yeah, meditation is great, but I don't want to stop and, you know, breathe. Um, because, and we often don't realize because we can get um, addicted in a way to the, the hormones and mm-hmm. uh, neurotransmitter activity that, that, that stress is. And we think, well, if I'm not moving, I'm not doing anything about it. And that, of course, is counterintuitive, maybe. But you, if you can and are willing to even take five minutes to just sit and breathe or, you know, focus, you and I do EMDR and I've been playing with different tools online. You know, there are these videos where a dot just goes back and forth across the screen just follow the dot, you know, like just spend two minutes following the dot with your eyes. And that by itself can be very, you know, therapeutic. And then you can go back to whatever, you know, stressors you want to continue to engage in. Um, Because even that is better than not doing that. And also really does calm you down and give you then a little bit more reserves, a little bit more mental authority, empowerment, access to different parts of the brain that you may not have access to because you're like you were saying operating in the wiring that is stress inducing and future focused oh my god what about this and what if this you know you can't configure every possible horrible thing that could happen in the future and not feel that as it's as you're thinking it through Mm And I think that's the other thing people don't understand. They don't really understand that their thinking is what's driving how they feel, not the event itself, um, if that makes sense. So it's, it's always, how am I interpreting the event itself that is causing the feeling at the level of the, the body and that we can do something about. Yeah. Well, and that, that Sam is when you say that people don't understand mental illness or addiction, but mental illness for sure, right? These thoughts, right, Mm -hmm. are the precursors to mental illness, right? So these repetitive anxiety thoughts, these repetitive, I don't matter, I'm not important, you know, my loss isn't as great as someone else's loss, are the precursors to mental illness, right? So that, I mean, that, that's the story, right? You might, I mean, that's when people come first to see us, that's what we look at. We look at, well, 
tell me, you know, what the thoughts are and how long those have been going on, right? It's not, it may be years down the road that now I'm, I'm, I, I feel suicidal. I'm telling you, I feel suicidal. Well, how long ago did those thoughts start, right? Because that's what we need to address right now so that it doesn't turn into, it doesn't, it doesn't become, you know, a clinical diagnosis for OCD or suicide, right? Because that is the long-term implication of continuing in these thoughts on repeat. That's right. Unchecked, left unchecked. unchecked. That's right. Yeah. And people don't know. I certainly didn't know that my, the way I was thinking was what anxiety and depression are that I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't know that until I was probably like 27, you know, because we don't, we don't understand. We think that those things, things like the words bipolar, things like the words PTSD, those are somebody else. We only have our experience. And if we've had our experience for, you know, since the day we arrived, that's all we know. We just assume that those words are other people's things, right. not ours. So we don't realize that. And also we tend to, you know, we keep the company that is similar to us, you know, so mm-hmm. birds of a feather flock together. So you're in a self-reinforcing loop going, well, everybody acts this way because everybody, you know, does have some probably does do a lot of negative in thought looping and does, mm-hmm. you know, worry a lot about, whatever it is. And so you think that's normal or drinks, drinks in every night at dinner or whatever values, you know, alcohol, or maybe thinks weed is no big deal, whatever it is. If you grow up in those settings or you spend a lot of time around people just like you, you're never going to see that those things are treatable and they don't have to, you don't have to live this way. You can make a different choice, but you have to start making a different choice. It's not going to spontaneously lift. And I think that's the other thing. People don't understand because we're not taught about this mind and body thing. We really don't understand that thoughts are habituated. You're never going to have a spontaneous remission. That's not, we don't just wake up a different person. And so mental illness is not, you know, it's like cultured over the long term and it becomes the wiring that is you. So there is no easy way for that to change. And there is no pill that you can take from your family practitioner that's going to make that disappear overnight. So, um, you know, also medication is, is just a temporary opportunity or not temporary in time, but a, um, I guess what I want to say is it's, it's a buffer or a opportunity for you to take something that can then allow you to go do the work that you need to do to make those changes. So it's right. not going to fix it by itself is what I mean no. to say. It can no, help. It gives you enough leverage to get you to a place where you can engage with some of these tools that have felt entirely out of reach prior. Right. And that probably are out of reach otherwise yeah. for yeah. some people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because if you have, if you're 60 years old and you've been stuck in a pattern of, you know, negativity and fear, you're not, that's not spontaneously lifting. I mean, it's just not. I mean, it is who you are at this point. And and Mm -hmm. mental health is really a process of learning something new, just like we might learn 
you know, a math equation or a foreign language. And so we really do have to go through a process of learning. Yeah. And that's not easy and it takes time. Uh, but start now, starting at any moment, you know, if someone had said to me, you know, I think I was in one of my early academic programs that uh, graduate programs where I realized, oh, like I have an internal dialogue and I can <laughs> see it if I'm paying careful attention to it. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't have, my reactions are not me. There's a separate voice in here that's me and I can hear it if I'm listening. Right. That was a big yeah. raha. Yeah. Well, and then what about when you learn that there are multiple voices in there <laughs> right? <laughs> and they have different personalities and they have different needs, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's particularly challenging, right? You are not one whole, you are not one thought, right? That you can observe right mm. outside here. We are all, we have many versions of us that yeah. are still living inside of us, right? Mm -hmm. I have my, you know, my my seven-year-old Molly inside me. I have my five-year-old Molly inside mm -hmm. me. I have my high school Molly inside me, right? Mm -hmm. I've got my college Molly inside me. And I have my adult self, which houses everyone. Mm -hmm. So so those voices, right, mm -hmm. sometimes sound a little different mm -hmm. right, in my head. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, there can be parts of me that feel m different ways, right? That's mm -hmm. a really difficult thing to kind of reconcile, right? Mm -hmm. if, especially when you're trying to make a decision. Well, part of me wants to do this. It's even colloquial language, right? Well, part of me kind of wants to do this. Mm -hmm. Part of me kind of wants to do that, right? Yeah. So one thing that I, I've mentioned to you, I also find really interesting is the the migration that is happening mm. um, you know people it, life goes on right so our leases expire where people are supposed to be you know moving and you know making decisions about do i stay you know in my current apartment situation especially if you're mm -hmm. living in new york like we all move once a year you know like mm -hmm. Do I renew this lease or do I continue? Do I not renew? Do I stay outside of the city? Right. So yeah. even using that as an example, right? Well, part of me doesn't want to leave New York. Part of me doesn't want to leave where some of my people are. But part mm -hmm. of me also really wants, you know, to potentially save some money or be somewhere where there's more air or mm -hmm. more light. Right. And then mm -hmm. so you're hearing two voices in your head. Mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. and then that can be confusing right mm -hmm. so even just yes we have an internal dialogue in our head mm -hmm. and sometimes there are multiple voices mm -hmm. and they have multiple needs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so and identify who they are and what mm -hmm. they need um is also part of this part of this work well, and what's complicating that is that when, whenever I hear anyone talk, I always hear it in two ways. I hear what you're saying, and then I hear how the brain is organized around what you're saying, the brain and the body. And so as you're describing these different parts of us, I'm hearing, yeah, that was the wiring that I developed when I was five, and that was the yes. wiring I developed when I was seven. And yeah. a lot of that is emotionally driven. We, the, most people don't understand that 
thoughts are mood dependent or mood activated, so state dependent. So when I was seven, maybe I was dealing with a lot of upheaval. Maybe my family went through divorce or a move or some kind of economic crisis that I wasn't, you know, that had not happened to that point. So now you have this happening and it could very well be activating that same emotional state, which is recalling all of those wires for seven and five and nine. And so now we are adults, as you said, but when you're seven, you don't have that adult person to be very reasonable and rational with. And we often have to do that intentionally. We have to connect those two parts of us. Yes. So we have to use our adult mind to say to our seven-year-old self, it's going to be mm -hmm. all right. Don't worry. You have the ability to work through this now. Mm -hmm. But it's all happening automatically and unconsciously. So we may not even yeah. see any of that. We're just reacting. Yeah. And we're scared and we don't know why we're reacting the way we are. Like you described earlier, being overwhelmed and confused. The confusion mm -hmm. is a big, I don't know what to do. A part of me wants to do this. And we may not understand any of that. And it is very challenging to try to do this on your own without any help and, and no new information to support what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for us, we always, we sort of talk a lot about the first step being slowing down so that you can start to get some empowerment or a sense of, okay, what is really going on here? And what agency do I have to start yes. to, you know, oh, wait a minute. Cause if I just slow down, I can say, my adult self can come through and say, mm -hmm. wait a minute, you know, Sam of younger days, you can do, you can do this. Um, mm -hmm. And then complicating it, as you already mentioned, yeah, I mean, I'm home. Maybe I'm go. Maybe I'm home with my family. I'm I'm a college student who just got grounded, not grounded, you know, in a, in but grounded like sent home, and now I must yeah. stay there, right? Yeah. Um, or I'm an adult who's going home or spending, you know, living at my in-laws' house or my grandparents' house um, with my kids now, my whole family, because they live out in the country or whatever it is. Um, and there is this migration happening where you know. Uh, the, the weather's changing and that's causing, you know, normally this is the time of year where we come out. That's what spring is. It's the time for life to come back. And after having been in the hibernation, so now we're seeing that and being told can't go out, can't go out, you know, which is a whole nother component to this. So well, I think it's, you know, it's again, it's against like our evolution. I, you know, like, I don't care how much I love Cuomo, you know, and how much I want to yes. <laughs> adhere and, 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 you know, be smart and be safe and play by the rules. Like my DNA is saying, go outside, Molly, right? Go sit in the sun, right? Totally. Go like be with the cherry blossoms. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 Right. Which you, like you said, like, you know, we're talking about getting a house out of the city for the summer. And normally we spend time in all these different places, but I'm always stationed in, in New York city. And for me to be thinking escape to another place for months at a time, that's really extremely rare. Like that does not happen. New York City is home under all conditions. And I've been yeah. known to say, if we were wiped off the planet, I don't want to, I will go with it. But yes. I'm experiencing the opposite right now, which is I need to get the hell out of here. And that so is definitely a testimony to what you're saying, which is like yeah. something in me that does not want to do this like this. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I almost feel guilt, a little guilt about it, you know, because I too am a, a diehard New Yorker, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's, I like, I wouldn't, I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be with the New Yorkers mm-hmm. <laughs> and go through this experience with the New Yorkers here. Right. Mm-hmm. This it's such a part of my identity. Right. Right. And that's another, so this is another loss that I'm seeing, right? Mm-hmm. These, like, especially young people, especially people, college students who just got to New York. And this is mm. the formation of who they are as an adult, right? I'm finally mm. out of my high school self. I'm finally out of, you know, my parents' house and their rules. That's and a really interesting New York point. is this yeah. symbol, right, mm-hmm. for... Your identity. Mm. My, I, I was talking about my identity as a New Yorker, and I too am also having like these these creepy like thoughts. Okay, I, I think I'm gonna start looking for a way to work from home somewhere else because this is like getting a little stale here, right? Mm-hmm. But then the like this almost this guilt that's setting in. Well, no, Molly, like you are, a, you are a New Yorker. You are a survivor. This is where you belong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, and then how I'm also seeing new, the New York identity, right? Or the, you know, the next mm-hmm. stage identity, right? That a lot of um, my, my young, um, my young people are, are really feeling a loss, like, mm-hmm. You know, I had finally gotten out of some of these younger versions of me, right? I'm not the high school me anymore. I'm the college me, right? Mm. I'm the young adult. I'm the young professional me with, you know, my friends, my culture, my life. And even though, you know, New York is not going to happen um, the way that it used to, and there's an awareness of that, there's still this desire. That's But that's who mm. I had become. That was my my most full like evolution or completion of me. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 you bring it up and it's something I haven't thought about in a long time, but it's, it does require us to reconnect with that time in our lives where we were, you know, graduating from high school in our first or second year of college. And I I mean, desperately I wanted to get out of the small town that I was grew up in. And I do have empathy for that. I mean, God knows that would be probably traumatizing to have been sent home from wherever and have to stay there. Uh, I don't know that I would have done that. I probably would have stayed wherever I was, but I understand, you know, if, if your if your family is um, doesn't want you. Certainly, if New York City is is where you went off to school, it makes sense why your family would want you home. Uh, and probably won't send you back here anytime soon either. And you might not be going back to school at all. It might be next year before. The truth is, if you're at NYU, I don't know that you're coming back here until except the spring of 2021. So it's going to be a while before life goes on. And I it's interesting. I do hear some clients who are just not plugged into the news, which I'm encouraging them not to be. For some people, it's really not healthy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm hearing language like, well, you know, when this is over, uh, you know, next month, and I'm sort of like, mm, you know, I think you may want to 
just reset your way of thinking about this time. Yeah, it's maybe let's not think about this as a pause that we're waiting to end. Right. You know, because that's not really, may not be what's going on right now. This may be, um, you may want to start thinking about your life in a different way. You know, you may want to think about, all right, well, what if this was, let's imagine this was the way it was going to be for the next nine months. <laughs> what does that look like? You know, hopefully it isn't that long, but let's pretend like it would be, how would things be different? Because in the event that that is the case, you don't want your life on hold for that time. And that's important too. Yes. Um, and it's also sort of a lost opportunity, right? Right. Um, if I'm just waiting for, then again, I'm putting it in the hands of the environment, of the externals to change my my state, my mood, my outlook, um, when I can do some work right here, right now. Mm -hmm. That's right. Very well said. Yeah. I mean, this is a time where you want to look to try to empower yourself. And the way that we get power is not to try to force the circumstances to change, to feel okay. That will do nothing but reinforce disempowerment. So this is a time where you look to say, all right, wait, 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 where do I truly have power? Oh, I can change my schedule. I can go to bed at a different time. I can go outside every day at this time. I can rearrange my work schedule. I can rearrange my thinking about, you know, what I'm going to do in the next seven days. I can look at my diet. I can look at, you know, um, my shopping habits. I can look at how much time I spend on the internet, you know, really looking at my behavior, what I can control, what I can manage. And it doesn't have to be a revolution. You don't have to go out and all of a sudden wake up tomorrow, get up at 5 a.m., jog for 20 minutes, and or start you know, a new exercise regimen an hour a day. It can be simple and little, but those simple little, like five minutes of breathing in the middle of the day, instead of going to the kitchen and eating sugar or candy, you know, is a huge change. It's a huge change. And if you can stick with it, you'll start to feel like, wow, I kicked that candy habit I had at two o'clock every day. I kicked that coffee habit that I really wanted to get rid of. You know, um, so even though it seems small, it will make a big difference because it does send the message to your subconscious, hey, I have some power. I didn't realize I had. And the worst thing you could do right now is focus on all the ways you're not in control. That, that'll sink the ship really, really fast. Right. Small and slow is faster and bigger. Correct. Because it will stick. Right. The, the only way out is through and the only way out is the slow way now. <laughs> you know, like the fast way is never going to stay because it's not manageable. Uh, you know, it's just not realistic. It's a lot of things. It's overwhelming. It's too much. It's too soon. It's too fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't work with my already well-established habits. So practical, slow, and steady really does, uh, although it might be cliche, win the race, and it will do that here as well. So absolutely, this is an opportunity as much as it is everything else. It is also an opportunity to look at ourselves, make whatever uh, adjustments we need to make to feel the way we want to feel through this, and that will give us the, the strength and the, the resources 
to get through this and also to be a model for how other people can get through this in a different way. You know, like no matter how you've been behaving until now, you, if you've been an anxious mess, if you've been, you know, an absolute, you know, uh, just a disaster for lack of a better way to say, it, you still can press the restart button at any time. So, cause we both know that language too, right? I certainly know what mess looks like and what it doesn't. And I know what it takes to get there. And it's just like Molly said, it's just one foot in front of the other, slow and steady. So it is, it is 11 o'clock. It is time for us to, it is time for us to go. Uh, unfortunately, we're gonna have to move our time. So our 10 a.m. Saturday conversation about grief, loss and trauma will be moving to Fridays at 11. So if you want to hear more, um, this is our Saturday roundtable, but soon to be our Friday 11 a.m. roundtable. So we look forward to those of you that are listening to stay with us and um, we'll see you then. Molly, have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you, Sam. Be well, stay safe, and we'll see you later.